0: Again, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning, and uh, we're going to look at verses 23 down to verse 31, and uh, I pray that our time together this morning would be helpful as we consider the words of Christ and uh, all that He has done for us. I got nervous there for a minute because I had not opened my iPad yet, and I was still on pie and praise, and I mean, I didn't get to preach that message, so I could have just gone there, but... It opened up, so we're good. Mark chapter 10, and uh, consider this as the title this morning. And as, as uh, we go to the, the Lord again in prayer, I would ask that you pray that God would speak to your heart as we consider this text before us this morning. God, we thank you again for this time that we can gather in your house. We thank you for your word that is alive, uh, that is still working, God, that it is active in our lives. And I pray this morning that, that as it works in us that we would submit ourselves to it, that we would listen to the prompting of the leading of the Spirit, that we would follow Him as He leads us into all truth. And God, sometimes truth is uncomfortable, sometimes truth uh, likes to be dismissed by us, but God, I pray that we would understand that the the truth that Christ speaks, though it may be hard to hear sometimes, is always life-giving when we listen to it. I pray this morning, God, that that your word would breathe life into our lives one more time, that we would look more like Christ as we leave this place than we did when we came in. For those here today who have never trusted in Christ, God, I pray that through this text, they would evaluate their own system of thinking as it comes to eternity. God, there are countless people in our world who are wandering around thinking that if they just do enough good, then that will outweigh the bad they've done and they'll gain entrance into heaven. And God, I pray this morning that the blinders would be taken off their eyes and they would understand that that's really a lie from Satan, seeking to lure people away by trusting in their own works rather than the all-sufficient work of Christ. And God, truly, if there was another way, then Christ wouldn't have had to die. But there is no other way. So he did die. He did rise again, and the truth is He is coming again. God, may we look to that day with great longing in our hearts. We thank You again for allowing us to gather. May You use it for Your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen. What has ever made you stop dead in your tracks and contemplate life? Things like death, a close call with death, if you've ever ridden with me. A conversation about death and anything else surrounding death all have the ability to do this really better than anything else I know. There's an old saying, and you've heard it, and I've probably said it from the pulpit before, but death has a way of making you think about what? Life. And it's true. Thinking about death, being surrounded by death, causes us to reevaluate our choices, our investments, our lifestyle and truly everything else. There is another thing for my life in particular that has the ability to do this for me, and it's every time that I hold a newborn baby, whether it's our kids or one of your kids, it always causes me to stop and contemplate life. Not just their life, but my life. Is my life amounting to anything? Is my life being used for eternity? It causes me to think, about the preciousness of life, and if my life is having an impact on those around me. Well, the conversation that Jesus had just had previous to the text that we're in was all about death and life. It's been a couple of weeks, but a couple of weeks ago, Matt preached on the rich young ruler, this man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Christ explained to him that he needed to die to self, and especially to this idea of wealth and riches. And the Bible says that this man walked away sorrowfully. And why was that? Well, it was because his life, his identity, his whole being was centered on these material possessions and wealth, and giving these things up were too much for him. Jesus, in this conversation, hit him with a very hard truth, and he couldn't handle it, so he walked away. But as he walked away, Mark reveals to us that Christ loved him. and was saddened that this man chose to walk away from this eternal offer of life for these things that he had accumulated in this temporary life. As this man walked away, the Bible says, he walked away sorrowfully, in part because he knew he wasn't willing to give up The very thing he needed to give up to gain that which Christ was offering to him. And so their conversation was about death and life. Well, as this man leaves, Jesus then turns and looks on those who are around about him, his disciples, and probably some others. And he begins to teach them using this man in some ways as an illustration to unveil a greater truth. As always, when Jesus speaks, it's important that we listen. Now, some of us in here have a problem when it comes to listening. If you think you ever have a problem with listening, raise your hand. What is our greatest problem with listening? Oftentimes, it's that we're not listening to understand, but that we're listening to respond. Or that we're listening with such preconceptions in our mind that it causes us to miss what is actually being said. I've had conversations, mainly with my wife, who she will continually say to me, but you're not actually hearing what I'm saying. You're right, but I'm hearing what I want you to say, and I've got a great response for that. So if you just listen to me, we could both be on the same page. And so as Christ begins to teach, he's really calling the disciples to consider what he's saying by looking at this man who walked away sorrowfully. This line of thinking of consider this is something that Christ used Regularly, When he taught through parables, he didn't want them just to think about the story he told, but he wanted them to think about the greater truth. As he gave illustrations, it was not for them to, to get stuck on the illustration, but to think about what the illustration was illustrating. As he used word pictures, he would do so to draw the listeners in, and his desire was that they would not simply consider the picture that he drew with his words, but they would consider the very deep things that he was trying to relay to them in their conversations. As we've gone through Mark, you can tell the times when the disciples got it. It was like a light bulb went off in their minds, and Jesus would commend them for understanding these deep and weighty truths. But you can also tell the times when the disciples didn't get it, because what would Jesus say? How long are you going to have hard hearts? How long are you going to be slow of hearing? How long am I even going to be with you? And so as we go through this text today, my prayer is that we would get it. For if we miss it, it will will be detrimental to our lives. The big idea this morning is this. Of all the things we spend time thinking about, the greatest investment of time is thinking on the words of Christ. His words bring clarity to those who wrestle with conflict of the spirit and the flesh. Who here today would say that you still wrestle with the conflict between the spirit and the flesh? And probably more so than we even recognize. And yet as we listen to the words of Christ, as we consider the words of Christ, as we look to the teachings of Christ, I believe it will bring clarity in our lives where there is confusion, because God does not desire that we walk around in confusion. He he desires that we walk in the light, that we walk in the truth. And if we're going to understand the truth, then one of the best places we can go is to the words of Christ, as we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark. The kingdom of God and the principles of the kingdom are always upside down. To find life, you need to lose life. To become great, you must become the least of these. The broad way leads to death and the narrow way leads to life. And we know these things, but I pray today we would consider them again and examine our own lives to see if we're actually living them out. Three things this morning from this text that hopefully will be a help to us as we think on the words of Christ. The first one is a truth to consider. A truth to consider. In verses 23 to 26, the Bible says, And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Now, as we look at these verses, I think we often... Read them in the form of a question. But Jesus is not posing a question here. He's making a statement. He's saying it's very difficult and nearly impossible, or it is impossible, for those who trust in riches alone to get them into heaven. And Jesus carries this thought even further in a way that would have been comical, but also would have proved his point. He said it is is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? A truth to consider. As we've said, this teaching comes directly after Christ's interaction with the rich young ruler who walked away sorrowfully because of the words that Christ has spoken to him. Then Jesus goes on to pose this statement to the disciples causing them to think, causing them to wrestle with the words that Christ spoke. And he says twice, how hard or how difficult is it for those who have riches to get into heaven? In verse 24, the Bible says that these men were astonished at his words. And Jesus answered them again and says, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? As Christ says children here, we need to understand first off that Christ is not belittling them in his conversation with them. He's drawing them back to what he had already spoken. If you remember previously uh, when when Matt preached, the the disciples were forbidding parents to bring who to see Jesus? Children. And what is it that Jesus said? Suffer not the little children. Don't, Don't forbid them. Let them come unto me. Why? For such is the kingdom of heaven. For such is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is relaying to the disciples that it is those with a childlike faith, not those who are easily convinced and persuaded, not those who can't think for themselves, not those who have no intellect, but those who come with a simple faith, believing the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Those are the ones who will enter into heaven, trusting in Christ alone for their salvation and nothing else. And the truth is, Children are oftentimes an example for us when it comes to this idea of faith. Of all the kids that I've baptized recently, as I sat down with them and had conversations with them, it is nothing for them to grasp this truth that Jesus alone is the Savior of the world. Do you know how many many adults I've sat with that wrestle through that, that can't give into it, that, that can't see That as simple as that truth is, it's the only way to be saved. And yet kids come in and they're willing to receive it with a full heart of faith because they believe what Jesus has said. And so as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's not belittling them, he's not being condescending towards them, but he was being purposeful again in the language that he chose, as he said, children. He says, Remember the teaching that I gave you earlier about those who were coming to Christ by faith, about those who would have part in the kingdom. They need to come like children. And then Jesus goes on and says this statement: It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 26, they were astonished and they began to speak amongst themselves saying, who then can be saved? And as Jesus was unpacking this truth, as he was revealing what had been veiled, so to speak, for so long, the disciples were having a hard time coming to grips with it and they began to question amongst themselves saying, who can be saved? If it's not this rich man, who can be saved? Now we have to understand also that when the disciples saw this rich young ruler coming, they probably got very excited. Why? Because here's a man that could add so much to our ministry by the wealth that he has, by the things that he possesses, by the the smarts that he has gained in this life. And let's be honest, I'm not making this statement to give people with wealth a hard time, but if you compare rich people to poor people, isn't it true that those with riches have an easier time in this world than those in poverty? certainly is. They have advantages when it comes to power and authority, to ease, to opportunity. They get the attention of both political and religious leaders. And Jesus was teaching a principle here that says all of that needs to be shifted on his head because there is no advantage to have wealth in the kingdom of God. And in fact, it's almost a disadvantage to have wealth when it comes to the kingdom of God if your wealth is what you're trusting in. I'm not saying it's wrong to have wealth. I'm not saying that it's sinful to have wealth. I'm not saying that Jesus condemns those with wealth. But he's giving a word of warning to those who would trust in wealth when it came to their eternal security. I would also say this, that it's not simply the rich who struggle with this idea of trusting in their wealth, but it is often also the poor who trust in this idea. That if I only had, then I could. That if I only got this, then things would be... And all the while, they're missing the picture, they're missing this idea that Christ is all they need, that Christ is everything they need. And that's what Jesus is trying to get their attention to in this moment as he's speaking to them again. And so to the illustration that Jesus gives, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard these words, they probably chuckled a little bit inside. Because the illustration that Christ gave was impossible now there 's debate there 's not good debate, but there 's debate over what this passage means. Some say there was a, a gate leading into Jerusalem that was called the Eye of the Needle, and for a camel to make it into the gate the city of Jerusalem, the camel had to go down on all fours, bow itself before the gate, and crawl through and that 's the only way in, in, to gain entrance into Jerusalem meaning that the only way into the kingdom of God is through humility. That's a great illustration, but according to history, there's no actual gate called the eye of the needle. Makes for a good story, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a literal needle and a literal camel. Now, I struggle with threading a needle with thread and a regular needle, right? Imagine trying to get a camel to go through a needle. It would be impossible And you say, why would Jesus use such a broad illustration? Well, if you remember back a few weeks ago, what did he talk about when it came to the millstone? He said, it'd be better for you that a millstone was hanged around your neck and that you were cast into the sea than to offend one of my little ones. What did he say about our hands and our feet and our eyes? It would be better to cut your hand off or cut your foot off or pluck your eye out then enter into hell being whole, then it would be better for you to enter into life with fewer limbs and one less eye than it would be to enter into hell whole. And back then when we saw those word pictures that Christ gave, what did we say? That Christ often spoke loudly for those who were hard of hearing, and he drew big pictures for those who were hard of seeing. And again, that's what Jesus is doing here. He wants people to understand the impossibility of getting to heaven through your own efforts and through your own works. This man, as he came to Jesus, as Matt shared with us several weeks ago, he came almost with a great joy in his heart thinking he had everything together. As he comes up to Jesus, it wasn't with doubts or questions in his mind, thinking that he wasn't going to make it. He just simply said, what more do I need to do to enter into eternal life or to have eternal life? And when Jesus told him that he had to die to sell and look to Christ, ultimately, the man couldn't handle it, and he walked away very sorrowfully. And the truth is, that we need to consider this morning is simply this. What am I trusting in to give me eternal life? What are you trusting in to give you eternal life? If at the day of judgment you stand before Christ and your answer has anything to do with you, the reality is that, friend, you're not saved. Because it's Christ and Christ alone that we trust in for our salvation. If you stand before judgment and you say, well, I've done this, or I've done that, or I've gone here, or I've given this, or I've been faithful in all of these areas, and that's the basis of your salvation, that's the foundation of which you've built your Christian life on, the reality is you will be turned away in that moment, and you will spend your eternity separated from God forever. Why? It's not because God doesn't appreciate good works, it's that that good works could never gain us eternal life. It's through Christ and Christ alone. And so this picture that Jesus gives is showing the impossibility of those who trust in riches, of those who trust in themselves to find their eternity secured in heaven through themselves. Christ is saying it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible for any man who's trusting in anything other than Christ to be saved. And as we think through this question this morning, as we think through These first few verses this morning, I again would ask you the question, who is it or what is it that you're trusting in? Who is it that you're trusting in for your eternity? Who is it that you've given yourself to? If it's Christ, friend, continue trusting. Continue trusting until the day that you die and heaven will be your home. But if you're trusting in yourself and what you can do, friend, you will be turned away. For all who trust in themselves will never find entrance into the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And for those who say there are many roads to God, if that is a reality, then Jesus is a liar. But Jesus isn't a liar. And so it is a reality that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by him so a truth to consider, again, is really posed in the form of the question, what are we trusting in? As far as we know, the rich young ruler never made it back to Christ. As far as we know, this rich young ruler died trusting in himself and will spend his eternity separated from God forever because of the hardness of his heart. I would ask you to consider that in your own life. What are you trusting in for eternity? The second thing that we see this morning is a miracle to consider. A miracle miracle to consider. In verse number 27, the Bible says, "...and Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for with God all things are possible." And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, as they're questioning, as they're distraught, as they're probably discouraged and a little bit annoyed that Jesus just turned away this guy that could have added so much to their ministry. As as Jesus looks upon them, he says to them, with men, it is impossible, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. And so what is it that Jesus is saying? Well, he's answering the question that the disciples posed in the end of verse 26. Who then can be saved? If this man who lived such a good and moral life, who kept all of the commandments from his youth up, who who was probably charitable in his giving and kind in his relationships, if this man was turned away from the kingdom of of God, who then can be saved? And Jesus gives them something to, to consider that should cause great joy in our hearts, that with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And as Jesus gives this understanding in this verse, what he's really describing is the miracle of salvation, not just for the rich and not just for the poor, but to all who have received Christ. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are impossible. Friend, if you and I went through life being as good as we could be, And we landed at heaven's door one day, thinking to ourselves, we have arrived because of who we are. Again, we would be turned away with great discouragement in our our hearts because our good works will never be enough, but Christ's work is always enough. With men, it is impossible, but with God, it's impossible. So to back up, Jesus is not saying that it's, it's impossible for a man or a woman with riches, to go to heaven. But what he's saying is that it's only possible as they come to God through Christ like everybody else has had to do. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This teaching of Christ was accomplishing already what he desired for it to accomplish. As he gave this illustration about the camel and the needle, as he talked about this idea of it being difficult for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God, the disciples began questioning in themselves, who then can be saved? Are, are we safe? Are, are we going to be in that group who is saved? Are we those who are going to enjoy eternity with God forever? Are, are we of those who, who are the bride of Christ, who will be rescued and redeemed from this present and fallen world and rescued and redeemed From eternity apart from God, will we spend eternity with God? Who then can be saved? And you can almost sense the franticness in their voices, can't you? You can almost sense the the concern in their voices, wondering who then can be saved? And Jesus brightens the day as he reminds them again that with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And what a relief that is. What a relief it is to know that there is a way of salvation. And what a relief it is to know that it's not through me that salvation comes. Friends, if we had to to do enough good works to outweigh our bad works in the big things, we'd probably be okay. Because as far as I know, none of you have robbed a bank in the last week. Before that, I'm not sure. So with the big things, we're probably safe. But as we think about the fact that God knows our minds and our hearts, how many of us would really have enough good works to outweigh our bad? And Jesus is saying, it's impossible through you. It's impossible through your efforts. It's impossible through your trying and through your striving. But with God, all things are possible. With men and by men, heaven would be empty. But with God and through the miracle of salvation, heaven will be full of people from every tongue, tribe, and race. With men, we would all fail. But with God, all who come to Christ by faith will find life. And this is why it's so important for us to continually preach the gospel, not just to ourselves, but for those around us, because the gospel is the only door of salvation. With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And as Jesus gave this teaching, he was causing the disciples to think a little bit deeper than they'd ever thought before about this idea of eternal life. As Jesus was teaching, he caused the disciples to think a little bit differently about this idea of eternal life and who will be saved. As Jesus was teaching, he caused them again to think a little bit differently about humanity versus God. Because with men, it's impossible But with God, all things are possible. This isn't the first time that Christ puzzled his hearers with the words that he spoke. In fact, it happened quite often. He would often cause them to to get confused in their mind, only to come on the other side and give them clarity to what they were confused about. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. But in John chapter 6, there's another passage that does this and this will be on the screen starting in verse number 53 the bible says this then jesus said unto them verily verily i say unto you except ye eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you or ye have no life in you whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and i will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and i in him as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard it, said this, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What? And if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But some of you which, that believe not, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, if you were with the disciples on that day and you heard Jesus get up and say, whoever does not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood has no part in me. How many of you in that moment would have understood what Christ was saying? How many of you would be confused? How many of you would be concerned? Like, what is Jesus talking about here? Is he literally teaching cannibalism? Is he teaching this idea that that I have to literally take a bite of Jesus and and drink of his blood? And, And maybe they connected it to the cross. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they were just so fully confused. And Jesus asked them a question. Does this offend you? Now, offense in the Bible doesn't mean offense like we understand it today offense in the Bible means to take and move something to a new place. And basically what Christ is asking them, does this move you away from the affection that you've had for me? Does this move you away from the truth that you have believed about me? Jesus goes on to teach them that what he was speaking was not physical, but indeed it was actually spiritual. And so Christ is not teaching cannibalism, but he is teaching of this idea of buying in so fully that your life looks like Christ in every way, that you eat of him as your meat and that you drink of him as your, as your drink, that he is your life and that him alone is salvation, that it's not of your works. But what does Jesus say in that passage? That all whom the Father has given me, they are mine. And you know what happened when Jesus spoke those words? The Bible says that many walked away sorrowfully. Why? Why? Because they were moved away from what they thought but they believed by the words of Christ. And then Jesus looks at his disciples. I think it's in the the verses to come after this. And he asks this question, will you go away also? Will you go away also? And what Jesus was conveying to them, what Jesus was conveying through that whole teaching is that salvation is not through man's works, but salvation is of God. And only those who come to God by faith in Christ will be saved. Only those who take of his cup will be saved. Only those who eat of his body in a spiritual way will be saved. And Jesus is relaying the same truth in Mark 10 that he was relaying in John 6 that with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And friend, I would ask you today, when is the last time that you truly considered your salvation as being a miracle that only God could perform? Do you want to talk about growing in your gratitude towards God? When you consider this reality that it took God to die for you to live, that should cause us to have great joy in our hearts that it's not because of who I am and it's not because of what I could do and I didn't have a special talent or ability that Jesus wanted that he could find in nobody else, but salvation is from God and only those who come to God through Christ will be saved. So when's the last time that you've considered that miracle? And for those in the room today who are not saved, I would ask you today, would you consider that miracle? Would you consider the truth that you cannot save yourself but God can save you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that if you come to Him by faith, He will not turn you away. Last night at the hot chocolate event, um, I was a little nervous on the inside because we were coming down to the wire and I saw this whole crowd of people behind us and uh, they wanted hot chocolate. And we tipped that last container over, filled the last cup with probably the, the nastiest cup of hot chocolate you could imagine. Everything had settled to the bottom. And uh, we gave it to this guy, and we were like, this is all we got. And uh, said to everyone else behind him, we're, we're out, I'm sorry. You could see the look of disappointment on people's faces. Why? Because they'd waited a long time. Who in here likes to wait in line only to be turned away at the end? None of us do, right? It gets under our skin in ways that nothing else can And so as as we told the people that there was no more hot chocolate, you could see the disappointment in their eyes because we turned them away. Friend, do you understand today that if you come to Christ, there's always enough of Christ for you? That he'll never turn you away and say, oh, the the sacrifice of my blood has saved too many. We're closed for this year. You've got to come back next year. Oh, we've met our quota for the day. You've got to come back another time if we can find more space in heaven to add more rooms into the houses that we've already built. Oh, you've got to wait to come back another time until we can find the accommodation to to meet the need that you have. Friend, Christ will never turn anybody away because he's a supply that never runs dry. And with men, with men, by yourself, in your own doing. It is impossible to gain eternal life. But take heart, friend, because with Christ all things are possible. And though you may have trusted in yourself up until this point in your life, thinking that your good works will outweigh your bad, that your baptism was enough as a child, that that your kindness to those in need would gain the attention of God, understand this, That if you go to heaven with those merits, you'll be turned away. But if today you turn to Christ, you will be met with grace and salvation from a source that never runs dry. With men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so as we go into the world and we preach the gospel, we don't preach a social gospel or a moral gospel. The gospel has social and moral impacts. But the gospel is not social or moral. The gospel is spiritual. It's divine. And it's the only thing that has the power to save man. So Jesus gives a truth to consider. He gives us a miracle to consider. And I pray that we would dwell on this throughout our day, throughout our lifetime as we take joy in this idea that God has provided salvation to us through Christ. But then he gives us a lifestyle to consider a lifestyle to consider. Passages like this, we would almost appreciate if they ended with the idea that with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Because Jesus relays a very spiritual truth that has implications for our present reality. And what Jesus is saying is that If you have received the miracle of eternal life, if you have received salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, then your life should look differently. And in verses 28 through 31, Jesus gives us a lifestyle to consider. Look at what he says. He says, then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Now, how do you think Peter said it? I think Peter was still nervous from the previous question that the disciples were asking amongst themselves, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And so it was almost from a defensive standpoint that Peter says, we've left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. And so Peter begins to speak. Again, I... I, Take it as being a little defensive, saying, we've left everything, Jesus, to follow you with a question saying, what are we going to get in return? We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And what are we going to have to show for it? Jesus, understanding the question that was in Peter's heart, calms his heart and his mind and says, Peter, understand anybody who's ever given up anything for the kingdom and for the gospel is going to receive a hundredfold in this life with persecutions and eternal life in the life to come. You see, what was Peter doing? He was playing the game where we weigh what's worth it and what's not worth. it. He was saying jesus we've left all to follow you and is it going to prove to be worth it and what i love about jesus is that he does not rebuke peter for asking this question but rather he teaches peter in a way that would settle and calm his heart because let's be honest there are many things in this life where we probably have asked the same question if i give this up god what are you going to do in return God, if I abandon my family for the sake of the gospel, what are you going to do in return? If I give up a lucrative career for the sake of the gospel, what are you going to do in return? And Jesus does not rebuke that, but he teaches in a way that debunks that way of thinking. He says, Peter, there's not anybody who's given up anything that will not receive a hundredfold There's not anybody who's given up anything who will not be rewarded both in this life and in the life to come. But as we began this morning, what did we say? That sometimes the kingdom of God has principles that are upside down. And so when Jesus says we're going to gain all these things, some of us could leave here saying, man, I am going to sell two acres of my land so that I can increase my lot by a hundredfold, and I'm just going to enjoy the blessings of God right here and right now. Friend, if that's your view of what Christ is saying, then you are so far off course. Then let's meet afterwards and we'll go through it one-on-one. But what's Jesus saying? He's saying that those who give things up for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the gospel will receive blessings that are unfathomable. Those of you who give so that we can purchase lots around the world for churches to be built, do you know that's a blessing that has returned to your life because of your faithful giving? Those of you who have had to break relationships for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom, look around the room and see how many relationships you've gained because you've been obedient to the truth. And while some of these things don't, home with us in the way that we get to enjoy our Christianity? Do you understand there's many people around the world who take these words of Christ as very literal? And though they have abandoned their earthly family, they understand that they have been embraced by a spiritual family that is far greater than this earthly family could ever be. And they are enjoying the the manifold blessings of God as they understand the way that God has poured into their lives Because of their obedience. And Jesus says, In this life, you're going to receive these things. And oh, by the way, they're going to come with persecution. But guess what? In the life to come, you have eternal life. And then Jesus goes on to say, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus gives us a lifestyle to consider. The first question I would ask us this morning is what have we given up for the kingdom and for the gospel? This is not a question for you to answer for other people in the room. It's not a question for you to even answer verbally. It's a question for us to consider. What have you given up? What have I given up for the kingdom and for the gospel? A friend who lives out in Ohio and they're doing a a Bible project where they're purchasing Bibles to be sent similar to what we do. Um, And he posted something, and it was not done in arrogance. He posted something in humility saying, "I'm, I'm selling this so that we can buy more Bibles for this group that they're sending them to. And he's a pastor, and he was encouraging those in his church to consider what they could sell for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. In March... We're going to be sending some money to the Philippines to buy Bibles. Friends, I would ask, what can we sell for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the gospel? And if we sell it, do we believe the promise of God that we'll receive a hundredfold? Again, not in the literal sense, if I sell a gold brick, then God's going to give me a hundred gold bricks. But think about what selling a gold, and I don't even know if anybody has gold bricks. I don't. But think about the impact of selling a gold brick for the sake of the gospel could make as thousands of people receive a copy of God's word for the first time. It's a lifestyle to consider. And you know what it takes? It takes taking myself from being first and putting myself in the last part. As John the Baptist came on the scene, came preaching a fiery message of repentance. And you know what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist? That there's not a man born of woman that is greater than John the Baptist. But you know what Jesus continues to say? But even the least in the kingdom is greater than him. Friends, how are we setting ourselves up to be the least? That's not the message of the world that we live in. And friend, often it's not the message of the church. But how are we setting ourselves up to be the least? What are we choosing, what am I choosing to go without so that somebody else could have a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's this new drink at Dunkin' Donuts, and it's a coffee, and I like it partially because it's called, like, the sugar Christmas cookie. I don't know what, but it's it's about as sweet as sweet can be, and you can add as much sugar as you want to that, and it makes it even better. The drink costs me $3.97 every time I go and get it. Do you understand that for the project in the Philippines, that is four Bibles? So my one medium drink that I drink... When I drink something, I drink like a horse. It's bad. Like, it's gone. So I enjoy it for all of, like, maybe 10 minutes, my $4 drink. And what if I gave that for somebody else to have a chance to hear the gospel so that they could enjoy eternity? Do you know what that takes? It takes me taking myself out of the front of the line putting myself at the back of the line. I think we see this often in mothers, don't we? I can't tell you how many meals that our family has sat down to eat, and we're there, and we've got our forks in hand, and the kids are picking at their food, trying to get a taste, and I'm like, what's the hold up? And I look over and my wife is doing what? Sometimes taking the leftovers of what is left and putting it on her plate to come and join the family for a meal. I see that in my wife. I see that in my mom. I see that in many of you in our church family. And what is that? It's a spirit of service that says, I am nothing. But Christ is everything. That I'll serve at any cost, giving up what is rightfully mine, so that somebody else can have a chance to have. And friend, if we can do that in the physical realm with things like dinner for a family of six, can I ask where can we do that in a spiritual realm with the things that we consider as valuable yet being willing to give them up for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the gospel? Our church is very generous. I just looked up a previous business meeting we had back in March or April, I don't remember when it was, but it was somewhere around $29,000 that was voted on to go for different projects, some here, some around the world, and today we're going to vote on almost $24,000. I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad, and I don't think Jesus was doing that to the disciples either. Do you know what I think, I, I think Jesus was calling them to do? To consider this. What does Jesus tell us? In the end of, Towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where in my life can I make myself last so that somebody else has the opportunity to hear the truth of a man named Jesus who died in their place so that they can be forgiven. Friends, may we consider this. Will you consider the words of Christ today? Will you believe that He speaks truth in every area of life? Will you take what He teaches and diligently seek to apply it to your life through the power of the Spirit? Will you live out what He says? In these teachings, there's there's life for those who cling to them. But if we despise these teachings of Christ, we will likely find momentary happiness, but we will give up true joy. And that's exactly what happened with the rich young ruler. He walked away sorrowfully. Jesus loved him. He walked away sorrowfully because it was too much of a cost to give these things up To find eternal life in Christ. And may that never be said of us, even those of us who are saved, may we never say it's too much of a cost to give something up to serve Jesus. But may we understand the principles of the economy of God that those who give blessings up or give possessions up will receive untold blessings in this life. And in the life to come. And at part, it takes us believing these simple words: that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Peter asked the question: "We've given up all these things." Truthfully, had Peter given up everything? No. We know he still had a boat. We know he still had a house. We don't know he still had family and friends, and so did the other disciples. Jesus didn't ridicule him for for misspeaking in that moment. He just simply went on to teach a greater truth that those who give up anything are going to be blessed beyond measure in this life and in the life to come. And your wallet may not be fatter, and your Christmas tree may not have more presents under it, but I guarantee when we stand around the throne of Jesus, and we see people from every corner of the world that will gladly say it was worth it all. Consider that.